Hello and welcome to Vagabond Actors Podcast. We're here to discuss all things acting and we focus on the craft as always, the process and the business in acting and pretty much everything in between. My name is Gary Condes and I'm based in London and I'm joined by my fellow actors, acting teachers and coaches. You know them by now. They are Brian Casp, who is based in Prague. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, Gary. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Keeping on, keeping on. <laughs> yes, as we do, as we do. <laughs> and we also have Andrea Helen, who is based in sunny Mallorca, España. Hello, Andrea. Oh, hola, hola. I am very well, thank you. It's, uh, it's mostly sunny here, and this helps very much at this time of the year. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So we have some listeners' questions that we are going to answer on this episode. But before we do that, we're going to check in with each other about what we've been up to in relation to our creativity and our work and how we've been spending the last week since we last met. So, Andrea, what have you been up to with yourself on that sunny island? <laughs> Well, you can tell Gary I, really, really is jonesing after the sun because he's mentioned I it know. twice. It may not be that sunny, you know. Gary. It may just be your your picture of what Spain looks like. No, it's so sunny, you guys. It's just sun beaming down all day long. I actually spoke to my friend who moved to the UK this year from Mallorca, and she's like, it's miserable. It's <laughs> desperate here. Um, Listen, this is, I'm a Brit in mid-late November who's pining for sunshine. So Yeah, a Spaniard too. Yeah, and oh a Spaniard. So there you go. My jeans, are, I'm like, my skin is crawling. It's itching because it needs, it's, needs vitamin D. I'm so pale. <laughs> so yes, Andrea, what have you been up to yes. over there? Well, it has been lovely here and everybody's out and about and we're very fortunate that way. And that, you know, that also creates a certain kind of energy in the overall society and certainly in the creative community. So it, it's very welcoming to have this sunny climate. So it's been an interesting week. As you know, I just signed with a new agent here in Europe, my first Ooh, agent in Europe. You have. Excellent. Yes. Based in Berlin. And um, I'm very excited about it. And within days, I had my first audition. And as it turns out, this was a notification maybe at two in the afternoon, and the deadline was 8 p.m. And she was lovely about it, said, I don't know if you can manage it. It's totally last minute, but if you want, give it a try. So I said, yes, yes, I'll do it. And so I just had a couple of hours to put together three scenes and five pages of dialogue, but it was a lot of fun. It was a great challenge for myself, and I was very excited to do that. And as well, I am working with the Institute for Acting Mallorca here, and my dear friend Tara Linke, who's a German actress who's also fluent in French and Spanish. She's amazing. And she and I have, along with others, put together a new initiative here for the actors who are based in the Balearics. And it's quite exciting to see that grow with support from the Mallorca uh, Film Commission and Cast Upload. And uh, so that's exciting to see some fruits of the labors. 
and really most of the labor has been done by Terra, but it's, it's exciting to, to see some new ventures really blooming. So, so that's good. So some business and, uh, and some creative opportunities. It's been a good week. Fantastic. Sounds pretty packed. Yeah. Now, Brian, I think you've been on the front line, have you not, from what I understand? Yeah, it's been surprisingly busy. I got back on a film set and shot for two days. And yeah, it was really, really nice. And it was an interesting experience because of how the pandemic has changed the procedures and the feel of being on a set because it was constantly masks up, masks down for all the performers and catering had totally changed. And it was kind of a weird hierarchy of the cast. They weren't keeping such a close eye on our mask etiquette because we would have our masks down during shooting. And then when we were in the green room, people either had it or didn't have it. There was no social pressure to not have it, but the crew definitely had to have it all the time. And the actors kind of were like, yeah, I'm not not going to do it. But you know, one of the things about being a local hire actor that works fairly consistently is that over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of the crew members. And so actually walking onto a set, even though that's I only have two days on any particular project, the crew tends to go also from project to project. And so it's almost like seeing old friends walking onto a project that I'd never been on before. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the director and the main cast were different, but but it's great to walk on and and kind of be social with other professionals again. And it just feels great to be acting in front of a camera, actually. I it always feels way too short. I always Mm -hmm. am like, God, I'm so addicted to this. I'm so addicted to it. That and my phone. Those are the two (laughs) things that are my addictions. Yeah, it's like I'm itching to get back in the studio and just be with fellow actors and just playing. It's fantastic that you, you know, you've got that opportunity. Yeah, does it feel like there's your home? You know, I know this place, even though you're the location. You know, well, because even even on a project that you're on for a long time, the locations probably change every day or every few days, so you're always walking into a new environment, and Mm -hmm. so that's not the aspect that is consistent. There is a consistency Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. when everything around it is fluid and changing in a weird way. And it's really nice to feel like I can walk on and even for the day and feel I've got this. I'm okay. And I, and I met some really great people. I met some people who had been coming over from London who hopefully I'll be able to keep in touch with. And we had some, we had a great time hanging out and chatting and getting to know each other. And it was just a great time. So but isn't that yeah. part of it? I mean, you know, we can... That's one of the main parts of it. Yeah. One of the really nice things about it, and one of the perks, I think, is things do change. And mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're going to the same office like a lot of people have to in life. And right. even though you've got a schedule to adhere to and all of that professional stuff, bouncing around locations, dealing with different people coming in and out, different actors doing their mm-hmm. scenes. I mean, there's nothing like it, is there? I think, And I think, you know, yes, there are some people who are interacting for purely the escapist element and just to run away from their life, which if they do it well, then good luck to them. But, but you know, yeah. there is obviously the creative side. But that is definitely a perk, the excitement of who's coming who, where are you going? Who's going to be on set this time? Who are we going to work with? What are they going to do? How are they going to deliver it? Yeah. Or the social aspect, not that it's just purely social, but like 
by being on a set, and especially one that is fairly a high-end set, you're working with people who are really at the top of their game. You get to be exposed, not just to people that are in your class or people that you might run into doing your thing, but you are exposed to people that that you can really learn a lot from and you can really be positively impacted by the stuff that they're doing or the way that they approach the work. I, I've found that that's really true on sets. Even if you're just there for the day, you can do that. And and like I said, you know, uh, one of my kind of longer term goals for being on a project, and this is not as mercenary as it sounds, but is to try to come away from that experience with one or two people that I can reach out to in the future, that I can expand my network by finding people that I really enjoy spending time with and sitting around in a green room is a great way to meet, to know if you're like, oh, this person is really cool. I'd like to spend time with them. When you take away the craft and the work and the acting, that social part and that networking part is a huge part. I mean, I, we've talked about it on the podcast, but. Yeah. I mean, it can be feast and famine, can't it? Because I mean, you can spend time when you're not working, your life becomes very small. But then when you are yeah. working, your life becomes very big because you're exposed yeah. to so many people. Yeah. Um, and, and it's great. And, you know, I, I think most actors are social animals, otherwise they wouldn't be, you know, doing, doing it, you know. Yeah, um, I think so too. What have you been up to this week, Gary? Well, this week has been a bit of a, a bit of a mix and a match. Um, I've had some interesting uh, uh, coaching come in. Netflix are launching a new TV series, sort of a fantastical world, a comic book hero type world. So I dealt with that. So that was really a lot of fun. And then uh, one of my regular clients is shooting in Budapest. He's got a regular part and um, they're back on season five. So um, I worked with him on that and also just started my um, casting technique Zoom course. It always amazes me how safe actors are, to be brutally honest. What do you mean by safe? Well, what I mean is, is they play within themselves and they may well pick up the clues, but they don't make enough of them. I had a stretch of a two or three years where I directed four plays off West End and on the West End. And it was my first time casting for shows that I would, was directing. I've, I've assisted casting directors in the past. But this was for my show, I'm actually looking for actors. And it was so eye-opening being that side of the process because without overemphasizing, 50% of the actors that came through the door might not have been there. I couldn't understand why they were there. They weren't giving anything, really. <laughs> And that's 50% already out the window, wow. right? And then the 25% uh, out of the 50% remaining, 25% were just safe. So then I was dealt with, I had about a quarter left with to deal with. And it's the same. And, you know, I'm trying to impress on actors to make choices that, again, we've we've touched on this and we've talked around it. And, you know, there's always this issue of bold choices, but it's to it's to really look at the script and open their eyes and go, if you're playing an ambitious lawyer, you're probably not very laid back, not if you're in combative mode in the court. <laughs> you yeah. know. So it's like, that's just a simple thing to pick up. So, so then why don't you employ that? And if you employ that, you're halfway there. So it's playing just their own mere bandwidth. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, these are inexperienced actors, so there's, there's a lot to learn there, and they know that. You know, There are clues in the script that are there 
to help you enliven yourself or not to stay on a steady heartbeat. So it was a really good start, but it was a, a bit of a like, you know, I've got to push things along here. Did they respond to it when you started to say, hey, give more or push more? Yeah, they did actually. So that there was a really good response to it. So that's actually testament to them. So maybe they're not misunderstanding as much as I think they are. It's just that they're not joining the dots. Mm, yeah. It's that difference. Do you ever think, did you, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it as an actor maybe early on and you've seen it in class i'm sure you've seen it in class where the actor you see the actor understands what is necessary here but they're not quite finding the trigger or finding the connective thing that actually brings them alive it's staying in their head never a good place to be never a good place to be no no (laughs) and the interesting thing will be to see once you push and then you go okay now you do it on your own with this next one to see how many of them revert back Yes. Well, that's the thing, you see, because the way I formatted this course is they come and do a virtual audition. I give them notes. Then those notes they implement in a Mm. self-tape. Plus a couple of other things that I ask them to do. And I see how that, that, then they get to see that on a self-tape and I get to feedback the second version um, Mm -hmm. with notes self-tape so it's uh, it's i think it works well and 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 it allows them to to have a bit of a process rather than they come in do an audition i give them notes and then it's kind of gone and, and disappears into the ether yeah hey can i ask you a question about your experiences on the zoom approach because as i'm trying to imagine your students struggling with this and i'm thinking about sort of the larger picture and if this is a problem that's exacerbated now in 2020, or if this is just what we've seen all of these years. I mean, I worry sometimes that although there are so many opportunities for our students and, and for actors to practice um, within the safety of their own homes and using their laptops and their phones and everything, at the same time, do, do you think that pursuing the truth of a scene only on camera or only in a Zoom session contributes in any way to this? Like if they were on a stage with you in a theater, do you think they could engage more of their bodies and more of themselves to take bigger risks with these with these ideas? Or do you think it's not the work has not been affected by the circumstances of our day and age? It's hard to tell, but very probably there is that element of being in a room that you need to fill and having in-person, real-life humans does have a different effect. But I suppose it's where you set the bar and also... Don't you do that on a self-tape anyway? Yes, but if you're only working in the in the medium of film and you're only working on close-ups or mediums, there's a lot that's not being addressed. That is true. But I personally, I start with saying, don't worry about this box that you're in. Mm-hmm. And if they do, I say, you're working in close-up when I can see you, mm-hmm. I can see you from your knees up. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think there definitely is a danger of limiting if you're not aware of it, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If people would watch all of these people in their homes from outside their while while they're working, particularly on my course anyway, they'd go, what the (laughs) fuck is going on there? (laughs) Because actually it's not just a head, it's not just a talking head. But you're right, I think there is an absolute danger of that. In a class, don't you think? You feed off everybody else. Yes, absolutely. It's a learning experience. But it's a theatrical experience, and that means you have the energy of the entire room there to support you and inform you. Yeah, and it's and, incremental. And it, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right. by the time the fourth scene has gone up and everyone's been dragged through a bush, 
it's like bloody hell, I better, you know, I, I, they're, they're taking on everybody else's energy, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, yes. We've been doing our repetition class pretty much on something like Zoom. And one of the things that I've really been pushing the students to do is to really try to send the energy into the screen because it does feel weird. And it's not exactly what you were talking about, Andrea, but it does go mm-hmm. to allowing yourself to have a, that type of fullness when ordinarily sitting at your screen, you wouldn't be that big or that active. I say to people, if you're if you're having trouble giving yourself permission to have this big of an experience while you're on a Zoom call, just imagine that the other person is, you know, your partner who's trying to leave you and you have to convince them to stay with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it's your parent who's saying, we're going to go over to this big Thanksgiving feast and you have to convince them that there's a pandemic on and you can't let them leave, right? You have to be looking for the excuse to step into the fire rather than accepting the quote unquote reality that it's just a box on my screen. It doesn't really matter. There's no point in me putting myself out there because the, what I'm, what I say to my students is like, yeah, if you go down that route, none of it means anything. It's all (laughs) fake. You know what we do? It's all fake. You, if you look for the cracks, you're going to find them. You have to look for the reasons to connect and to step into it. Yeah. In order for you to to convince yourself that you can commit to it. And then, you know, in terms of like using your body or using bigger behavior than fits inside of a close-up, you know, I understand that it's more than this, but it's it's just a question of how much you're showing that. Yeah. You know, how how much you're allowing that behavior to permeate through your your physicality. Yeah. And you can always ask people to stand up. I mean, I've asked people to stand up, yeah. mm-hmm. but I would do that in the studio as well. If like someone's yeah. not really engaging themselves fully and it's just a talking head and they're in a studio and it's not working, I go, look, you're in a seat. You're too comfortable in that seat. Get off that seat and get yeah. up. It's the same on Zoom too. People ask me, what is your course? Is it a film acting course or is it a theatre acting course? And I just say, it's an okay. acting course. <laughs> and... Yeah. and, and to start with, and then, you know what, if you want to hone that down for film, for camera work, then you can come to me later on in an advanced class for film acting class. But for this, these 12 weeks or however long it is, it's an acting class. I don't care about any limitations. There aren't, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Well- Speaking of uh, people asking questions about what they should be doing. A wonderful actor from Germany is one of our listeners and uh, has been enjoying the podcast and shared with us a very thought-provoking question based on some experiences he's been having this year on set. Yeah, hi guys. I'm uh, Philip from Germany and I have this question. As regards um, distractions on set, well, I would be grateful if you could discuss this topic within the podcast. For example, I have my own experience with distractions such as people cracking jokes in between takes and I don't necessarily want to be part of that because I might just want to stay in my character and stick to my preparation. And what experience did you make? What kind of behavior could we use or what could we be conscious of to not fall into these traps? And what is there more to be aware of? Thank you so much. 
Gary, Brian, what are your thoughts on this question about dealing with distractions on set? You've done your preparation, you're focused, you're taking your work seriously, and that's not the approach that everybody around you has. How have you managed that or how have you encouraged your students to manage that? So, yeah, it's um, it's a perennial problem that actors have, or at least uh, are faced with. And um, I've kind of been through two phases with this element of an actor's working life. And when I first started out, because I wanted to be liked and wanted to have friends and didn't want to disrupt the apple cart in any way, I kind of went along with people and was sociable on set and didn't really worry too much about whether I was being distracted or not. And it probably did affect my work, although I was always the type of actor who would just before a scene get to where they needed to get to, because that's the way I was trained and that's the kind of work I wanted to do. But that all changed when I started to meditate. When I started to meditate, I was able to be in a very busy set or be on a very busy set with lots of stuff going on, um, working stuff, people setting up and all the rest of it. But while other actors are uh, engaging with each other and socializing and making jokes, perhaps. Um, but I was able to extricate myself from that and just sit in a corner and sit in the stillness of myself while there was chaos going on around. And I, I think that's one thing that really helped me is having my attention on, on something very um, meditative. And it was very simple stuff, whether it was my breathing or whether it was connecting to my senses or whether it was a sort of mantra. That helped me. Whenever I feel myself being overwhelmed by other actors who want to talk or chat, I basically now just pull myself apart and sooner or later they get the message. Even though there's lots of noise going on, what I tend to do is if I'm not meditating, I will involve myself putting my attention somewhere useful for me. I could involve myself in an inner monologue in relation to the character I might just visualize the scene for myself, or I might go over my breakdown of my scene just to remind myself. And basically what all of that does is to put my attention elsewhere. So yeah, I mean, that's what I tend to do. I'm less apologetic about extricating myself from a group, sitting in a corner and doing what I need to do. Um, I mean, another thing I do also is, again, unapologetically, but recognizing that there is a working group and a, and a bunch of people that are working together is I actually now, just, you know, I'll, I'll say I'm just going to take myself aside and just focus a bit. So excuse me for being antisocial. So I'll kind of flag it up. When I worked with Sam Rockwell on Moon, we were rehearsing and he was very gregarious and very sociable. But then when we got to set, he'd say, you're going to have to excuse me being pretty antisocial because uh, I'm just going to need to get into things here, which was perfectly fine. So he kind of, you know, flagged it up and said that this is not going to be unusual behavior and reminding me that he was at a place of work that he took it seriously. Ultimately, if I'm not being offensive or getting in any other's way, it really is no one else's business, really. <laughs> After all of that, it's a place of work. Um, that doesn't mean you can't have fun. And sometimes I do. I'm, I'm, you know, if you've ever been to my classes, you'll know that we'll have a, a lot of fun at times. But it's knowing and respecting the boundaries and when to do what, when. Yeah, Gary, I think that what you said is right on in terms of all of the steps that you would go to. I think that what the problem is that you feel on a set, and especially 
it's especially true as you kind of get less and less professional. So I, I always use, although this is probably prejudice of me, but use kind of student films or those kind of low budget type films as the epitome of not professional, which uh, forgive me, student filmmakers out there, it's probably not fair of me to do this. But it's usually people who are learning their craft, who are not as organized. There's a lot of chaos going on. They don't have enough people usually helping out or doing the production work that needs to be done. And so it's very easy for actors who should be spending the time focusing or just not wasting energy. It's very easy for them to get swept up in the feeling of, oh, I should be helping or I should be social or I should be, there's there's almost a peer pressure in certain situations where it feels like, well, everyone else is joking around. I should be joking around as well. The peer pressure is there and it's real, but exactly as you said, Gary, just being aware of it, you know, maybe you need to do this for every take or if you're having a particularly emotional day or a day where you need to really stay in your preparation, then either flagging it up to the people that you're working with and saying, hey, you know, this is going to be a difficult day for me. I'm just going to keep myself aside, exactly as you said, Gary. Or if you feel like the people that you're working with might not be receptive to that. And you do have someone like an AD or a producer or a direct, you're going to have a director, I would assume, but someone that is more responsible for the organization. And you feel like you don't want to be a, a party pooper for the your acting peers. If you have an AD, tell the first AD and say, hey, look, I, I'm going to need some some space to myself. And if if I can just go off in a corner and you come and get me when you need me, then then that would be great. And even on a student film, you basically being a professional and saying, hey, I'm going to need this space. If they're not respecting that, then you can always go to look, I'm here to do this job. I'm here to do this acting. And you want me to be spending the energy that I have in front of the camera when they are rolling and not to be spending it being social with the other actors. And every actor works differently. And depending on what they have to do for that take or for that day, every actor needs different amounts of time and different amounts of focus to be ready to do what they have to do. And so anyone who, on a set who doesn't understand that or ridicules you or gives you peer pressure for like, why aren't you messing around with us? Fuck those people. They're not worth the time. You have our permission to not give a shit what they think about you. You create the space. And whether that's explicit by telling someone or whether that's just implicit by you taking yourself off to the side, then do that. And if it's not possible, then exactly what Gary said, working on kind of how you focus, if it's not meditation, it, it's a level of focus, is, is a good idea. And I guess in an opposite way, and this is not always true, but some of the craft that you might want to be working towards as an actor is how do you cross over that threshold? You don't need to completely come out of it and start joking around and then completely go into it and, and start sobbing. But personally, if I stay in a preparation all the time, let's say there's a half hour or an hour of, of turning around and relighting and figuring out what the new camera angle is going to be, I'm probably going to waste that like learning how to dip into your preparation for when the cameras are actually rolling and then come out of it, maybe not wasting it by socializing, but being not completely within that emotional state when you don't have to be, that's also a good skill to practice. 
so that you are maybe more flexible. And then if you get good at that, then maybe you'll find that it actually is possible for you to, you know, joke around a little bit or be more relaxed about the social aspect of being on the set. But then also, so let's say you don't have a very tough day and you don't have a lot of preparation that you need to do. And you can basically do whatever your scenes are just by, you know, being social and then basically dropping into whatever you have to do, but it doesn't take a lot of mental or emotional energy from you. There's a real imperative on the flip side of what we're talking about to be aware of what your fellow actors need and the kind of environment that they need. Because I've also had an experience with an actor who really needed time to prepare. He had a huge monologue or he had a huge thing to do. And I was like, hey, I want to be social. I don't have anything to do. And he was like, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm really sorry, but it's almost exactly the same way that you mentioned, Gary. It's, he said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I really need to prepare right now. And it's like, yeah, great. That is what we're here for. And so there's a real awareness that I think I would encourage everyone to have on a set about, yes, be fun, but also be aware of the work that other people have to do. And sometimes that's not even just actors. A lot of times, you know, if, if the actors are, let's say they're they're figuring out what the shot is or they're doing something technical on set. And if you're joking around and, and playing around with the other actors, that's that might be distracting the cinematographer or the director or some stunt people that have to figure something out. So it's just being set aware for everyone about what kind of focus needs to happen and how social can you be without messing up anyone else's work. Yeah, it's um, quite right. I mean, awareness and respect, because it's, it's like being in a family, you know, everyone has different energies and different personalities and some actors can get into it at the drop of a hat and others need a bit more of a slow um, 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 rise to it. So you've got to be aware of that. But particularly if you are working with actors who are playing main roles or main supports and they're in every, pretty much every scene or every other scene, um, then they need to concentrate. It's, it's, you know, if you've ever experienced that level of role where you are doing so much, then you don't really have the time. And, And another thing is, I'm generally quiet because of my energy. I want to preserve my energy and I don't want to fritter it away on things that aren't useful to getting the job done. Yeah, awareness is a really big one, as you say, Brian. That's a really good thing to point out and respect and know what's going on. Andrea. I think it's such an important question for us to tackle these on-set challenges that actors face. And I really appreciate that Philip is trying to take his work seriously and be respectful of the process and the space and stay focused. You know, for some people that banter in between is their own strange way of keeping focus. It's their way of keeping light on their feet or flexible or awake. And um, it can be distracting. So you can have respect for it and empathy that maybe this is actually a technique that they feel serves them. I think in the past, if I've interpreted myself as they don't take the work as seriously, or they're trying to get me off of my game, like if I, if I at all thought there was sort of some poor intent in it, I may have just really wasted valuable energy. So I think if you can think about the other actors' habits with generosity, that's one way to begin for sure. That being said, if the challenge is to keep your own focus, 
I think in this day and age, as everybody has a gadget with them, people are pretty used to having others check out around them, putting on the music, you know, listening to the headset, getting a book out. I think having a book nearby is actually really good. If you have a chance to step away from, from behind the camera in between, that's one thing. You can have something that you can go to. You can move to another space. If you don't have that, you know, find that place in your body, whether it's with the song or movement, whatever it is, find that thing that you need being there. You can be respectful. You can have a smile on your face and you can still maintain your own private inner life and energy. And ideally, if you can step away from the camera into your own place, do that. Nobody minds. As long as you are there and you're still paying attention so that when they get set up to load it again, you're there. You, nobody needs to go finding you in your trailer. You're present, but you're carving out a space for yourself. I think you're fine. Yeah. Uh, one question to both of you, actually, is, yeah, is there a little thing that you do that helps you to maybe deal with chaos or noise or focus? I'm not talking about emotional preparation because that's a preparation in itself. And we've covered that explicitly in a podcast on emotional preparation. So check that out if you haven't already, listeners. But um, even if it's similar to what I said or a variation or something different. I'd say I'm usually the one who is more trying to lighten up the set, especially if I'm like I did a film where I was high enough on the call sheet that I could feel like I could kind of be responsible for the energy on the set when I was there. And, um, and I think I liked to kind of provide a little bit more energy mm -hmm. off in a way. And for some reason, you know, it's interesting because you said about the, the leads, sometimes the leads are going to be really focused and sometimes the leads are going to be so used to dropping into whatever that character or whatever that emotional state is right. that they can do it at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And in that particular film, I felt like once you knew that they were going to be really rolling quite soon, then I could basically get from wherever I was into that state pretty quickly mm -hmm. that I needed to be. So I, 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 I like to sing. I, you know, I like to, uh, it's, I'm probably hell to work with. On those <laughs> ones. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like to do. For me, it really depends on what the role is and you know, what the tone of the piece is. If I need to sort of keep my body moving in between, or if I need to keep up a little chatter with myself or with the makeup team, so I'm not making fellow actors nuts. In the old days of Walkmans, <laughs> I used to always have my Walkman nearby in case I felt like I needed to just go sit off by myself, and it got a lot of use. I mean, there's a story about Gene Hackman. Someone worked with Gene Hackman, and uh, they said on the first couple of days, he wouldn't speak to anybody, mm -hmm. this actor in particular. Then at the end of uh, a couple of days shooting, he shook his hand and said, nice to meet you. And uh, said a few words, said, I'll be in the bar if you want to have a drink afterwards in the hotel or whatever. Yeah. He, he kind of just let you know that I might be a star, but I'm a human being, but also I'm just working here. But anyway, hey, how mm -hmm. you doing? Mm -hmm. Kind of touch base. That put the actor at ease and then kind of went, okay, he's not being offish with me. He's working. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, um, whether you need to do that is dependent. It all depends on the, the situation. There's no harm to make contact, but then go, 
I'm working here, depending on how you operate. But as Brian says, it's all how you operate. I've come across so many different types. You just, you know, got to let them get on with it. I just do my thing and you can do your thing as long as it's not too um, crazy for everybody. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. One of my students wrote and actually left us a message on our Facebook page. And if anyone out there in Vagabond Actor Land wants to leave us a message, go to facebook.com slash Vagabond Actors and leave us a message. So this is um, my student, Christian, and, and this is what he had to say. Hello, Vagabond. My name is Christian Mitar, and I'm one of Brian Cass's previous students. I just want to thank you so much for these for this podcast and also ask you a question regarding the imagination uh, because I feel like I feel a bit off sometimes. I don't always have uh, a clear vision in my mind where I can actually imagine a certain scenario. And the worst part is actually hold on to the imagination because you have to take different shots and it can take hours. So how do you do it? Is there a way to actually improve the imagination? And if so, how? <laughs> is it only talent or is there a way? Thank you so much for the answer and thank you so much for the podcast once again. Bye. All right. So Christian's question. I think it's kind of a two-parter. So how do you become more imaginative? And also, how do you, throughout a shooting day, not let your imagination or the thing that you're working on to fuel you get stale? You know, it's a really important question that he asks. And I think all of us have probably encountered this from our students at a certain stage in particular of the training. Um, no matter what the methodology is, when you get into what we call emotional preparation and, you know, yes, here's another shameless plug. We have done an episode all about emotional preparation, and I think it's it's worthwhile to for him to listen to it. But there is that question of summoning an organic emotional reaction in your body and your mind through the use of your imagination there is the question of how to expand what's one's imagination, how to trust that expanding one's imagination is a safe endeavor. And then when you are working to be able to count on that emotional life to be present for you when you need it, it's a, it's a very important piece of an actor's work. 
if the first part of his question, as I understand it, is about how one can become more imaginative, there are a number of ways in which one can go about this. And I think that as we as we talked about in the learning lines episode, if you understand how you tick as a learner, how you process things, you will be better equipped to access your imagination and utilize it for yourself in a creative way and in a safe way. So the more that you experiment, the more you come to know your own instrument, and then the more you can can play around with it. To me, one of the key words is trust. Whether or not you go about this in a classroom scenario, or now in particular, uh, in 2020, whether you go about this practice on your own with music or with some other sort of stimulation or in the quiet privacy of your home, you have to give yourself a certain kind of condition under which you can go forth. You should have some serious conversations with yourself about the kind of permission you give yourself to trust that you're engaging in a safe process and that you're willing to go through it. You're willing to spend time daydreaming and creating and writing and journaling and acting out and fantasizing and talking to yourself and all of the things that may may erupt out of it. So I would say the first step is to prepare yourself with an atmosphere of trust in the process. So maybe the two of you can talk to some of your favorite methods for engaging the imagination and becoming more imaginative. To stimulate yourself with your imagination and to go back into that place of childish play where there isn't a limit to what you can create. Mm-hmm. We kind of lose that when we go through adolescence and, you know, moving into adulthood and all the practicalities and the reality of all of our lives, that it's not very adult to indulge in your fantasies. So it feels like there's a risk associated with it that you're going to be childish or that you're going to be making a mistake or that you're not going to do it right or anything like that. And so that I think is part of where the trust comes in that you can create a fantasy and indulge in it. And the more you can kind of put yourself into that fantasy, the more effective it might be, or it might not be effective. And then you can indulge in a different kind of fantasy. And and this is how it connects up with the emotional preparation. The more that imagination is going to work on you, it's probably going to be something that involves your senses so that you're using not just what you see, but also what you touch, what you smell, what you taste, all the, all the senses. When you're indulging in your imagination, if you want it to be directed, all of it's good. It's all good. In whatever direction you want to go in, it's all good. So, but this is just, if you, if you want it to be a little bit more targeted, trying to see what you can imagine that means something to you or that hits you in a certain way. And it could be something light, could be something more heavy. It could be fun. It could be dreadful. It could be, you know, in, in any direction and play around with it, as, it, as Andrea said. And that's work that you can do by just sitting around and daydreaming, as Andrea said, by listening to music, by journaling, by doing morning pages, by acting things out, all the stuff that 
that um, I'm just repeating what Andrea said. Really, I'm, you know, I'm just <laughs> using her her thing. Uh, but it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Um, and just kind of indulge yourself and and be childlike about it when it comes to what you might need to be doing for getting yourself prepared to be going in to do actual work, that's when the emotional preparation technique or the moment before technique really start to come to the fore because once you're in an actual situation where you're going to need to be affected by what's happening around you, if you're working very hard to try to imagine a situation that is not present, then okay, what is missing in what is actually around me that I need in order to have the experience that I need to have to fulfill the script or the scene or the, or the scenario that I'm going to have to do? Um, and then just working on those aspects and trying to find something about the actual moment that's around you that's going to fill that hole for you. And if you need to be juiced before a take, then the emotional preparation or working on the moment before, as we talked about in that episode, is going to really help as a technique. And it has something to do with kind of having a, a strong imagination in general that will allow you to come up with all kinds of situations that might affect you. Um, but it is more specific than just kind of daydreaming willy-nilly and kind of seeing what happens. Yeah, that's all fantastic stuff. I, I wouldn't disagree at all. And I think that is all grist to the mill and that's all going to help you. And that's kind of what I would I'd say. I, there you go, right? That's why yeah. you go last. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, basically what they said. <laughs> no, um, but one thing came to mind as you were talking, actually, both talking, and I was trying to just sort of have a look at what sort of creative work is and imaginative work is. And um, I remember a phrase that a teacher once said to me that all imaginative creative work comes from supposition, which is, you could say, is daydreaming. Um, mm. You're supposing. You're going, yeah. what if? You are you are asking questions and you're stimulating yourself with that that idea of of supposition of asking a question that doesn't exist daydreaming um, reading more you know stimulating yourself through art and creative endeavors you've mentioned it automatic writing listening to music without lyrics perhaps because the lyrics might be a bit more sort of head based or they can also send you off on a tangent so words could help you to visualize things you know planning your holiday all of these stuff have a sense of sort of imagination to them you know you could do nothing worse than read a book or read more, even, if you already read, because the power of the words stimulate images in you and your imagination. We actually think in pictures, and this is a very good exercise for an actor. You know, when you have a speech and you're recounting something from the past, you got to see the pictures. you got to be involved. And that's a natural human thing that we do. It's organic human law. We think in pictures. And one exercise that I've given to people in the past is to create a narrative from a painting or an art object. They say that, you know, <laughs> walls can talk. So, you know, tell a story about it. Try and imagine a story for yourself. Look at objects. Um, create a narrative for figurative paintings for people. Um, maybe make characters about them. Force yourself to write a list of their socioeconomic group, where they come from, how they speak, how they walk, how they talk, who their relationships are with. All these stuff are little exercises that you can do on a general level. 
But in terms of the emotional preparation, consciously self-stimulating yourself through your daydreaming or your imagination, you can maybe look at the practice of it, whether you are at home or in class or whatever, but probably more homework is to try and find a way into emotional preparation two ways. One is a bit more general and one is a bit more prescriptive and one is a bit more explorative. And the more prescriptive one is to go, I am going to create a daydream or an imaginary circumstance that will make me break out into a floods of tears. And I'm going to use the death of my mother for that. So you've already got an idea of where you're going with it and what stimulus you're going to use for it. And you involve yourself, as Brian says, through your senses and you get yourself involved in that and you find a pathway to triggers that can do that. The other way is to go less sort of prescriptive and just go, happiness, what does that mean to me? And you give yourself some space and a room and time, maybe an hour, and you sort of maybe daydream or meditate, whichever word you want to use, on just the idea of happiness and see what comes to you. Because if you give it time, something will. It takes a lot longer, but every now and again, something really crops up that I wouldn't have thought of in relation to an emotional state that I've allowed to just filter through just from being able to sort of sit there and ponder on it. And I've used it and it's become a very strong trigger. That's something I wouldn't have used of if I was thinking about it so much. So maybe those are, are kind of ways of practicing emotional prep slightly different. In terms of working, I mean, this is something you can also practice on a day-to-day basis, but maybe in the workplace to help you be open and more pliable with your imagination is I can't see anything better than some kind of meditative state because the state of meditation really does bring you into the present. There is a lot of meditative practices that get you to experience through your senses, which do two things. One, they bring you to the present, listening, putting your attention on your breathing. These things also relax you and they start to allow your subconscious to awaken and puts you in a more receptive state. As someone who never used to meditate until they um, came to yoga five years ago, and then only then at the end of a yoga class, I can really vouch for the effects of dipping into this conscious well that really does nourish one's brainwaves, activity, ability to harness one's energy, which imagination is part of. Um, And just a final thing is, taking that meditative element even further, you can do visualized meditations, which is just really a a slightly different aspect of emotional preparation where you're doing it on purpose. Sit in quiet and develop this visual aspect that is very innate to human beings. And you can find those all out there. You can find guided meditations that take you on visualized trips or you can do it yourself. And that way is a great way of expanding one's inner imaginative landscape. I have two other thoughts for Christian. One is that what we're talking about, that we've all experienced ourselves as actors and as teachers, is that the more you practice this and the more that you allow yourself to explore, not just in different directions, but in extreme directions, the more you are serving yourself. If you set a course to practice developing your emotional range 
and you allow your imagination to go to some uncomfortable places in all sorts of colorful directions, you know, grief or anger, rage, joy, surprise, whatever it is, as you give yourself permission to do that and you explore it, you are building emotional blocks for yourself. And as you expand your own personal range of emotional understanding, you are giving yourself so many gifts for the opportunities, the work opportunities are going to come your way because you're going to read a script and let's say on a scale of, you know, one to 10 in the anger department, it's a four and you've practiced in scene work on your own in meditations, you've practiced eight and nine. You're going to look at the scene that has the four and you're going to go, Oh, easy peasy. I get this. And I know enough not to make the actor's mistake of making it a 10 when it's not. I know how to calibrate this thing. I know how it resonates with me personally. I know how it resonates for the character. And I know how to bring a personal point of view to this so I can organically activate something within myself. So the more that you allow yourself to travel to some extremes of emotional understanding, the better equipped you will be for your whole career to take on whatever is presented to you. That's number one. And number two, if you've been in a classroom with Brian, I I can rather bet that as you've approached scenes, Brian has said to you, hmm, how do you feel about that? Well, what's really going on in this scene? And what does she mean to you? And can you imagine yourself in such a situation where somebody has so betrayed you that you would go to this kind of a length to exact revenge? Or can you imagine that you would be so grateful to somebody that you would subvert your own desires? Can you imagine this? As we discuss with actors and as directors discuss with actors, the content of a scene, what we're often using is, can you imagine? Or it's as if this is what's going on. And those are key words for you to recognize something within yourself, to find a situation in your imagination where you can say, oh, gee, I just read this scene from The Crown with Margaret and Elizabeth, but it's as if my beloved sister has gotten the thing I most wanted, right? Like how to humanize it and how to personalize something and how to put yourself into it. That's the process that an actor goes through. And you you engage your imagination, not just in the actual daydreaming, but you engage yourself as you consider the scenes and you imagine how you can bring your full self to portraying the honesty, the truth of that scenario. Trust that process, trust that line of questioning. And if you're on set and nobody's giving you those kind of questions, well, you can give yourself that. So you've, you've had a great morning, you're shooting, everything's wonderful. You go on lunch break and you're like, I'm done. I keep getting calls from home. My daughter's sick. I got to pick her up from school. I go to arrange childcare. Oh, Jesus. And now I got to go back and I got to shoot this 
scene. The FBI is coming after my family and I don't have it in me, man. I'm done. I'm spent, right? How do you call up the emotional understanding and depth and urgency and reality for that? Well, ask yourself the questions that your teachers have been asking you as you discuss scenes or the directors have been asking you. What if this, or maybe it's as if that, and keep asking yourself these questions until something starts to awaken in you and prickle inside of your belly and your heart and you start to get agitated or free or joyous or giddy or whatever it is and you feel you feel an idea play upon you and then and then you're free to move in that direction and explore it again there's the practice of it that you can do on your own or in a classroom environment and then in the act of calling upon these methods in your work be your own coach be your own leader through this Awesome. Hopefully, Christian, that has answered your question. And if it hasn't, let us know. And if any of you out there in Vagabond Land have other questions, then definitely let us know. You can do that on the Facebook page, as I mentioned. You can also do it on our Twitter or Instagram. That is at Vagabond Actors. So get in touch. We also want to say whether we have seen anything this week that has moved us or that we want to recommend to our listeners as something that might be interesting for them? Well, you know, sometimes I'm prone to dredging the depths of dramatic literature or art house movies. But this week, (laughs) I um, have gone a bit lighter and I have, I don't know if you've seen this, either of you, um, it's called Barry on... Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a lot of fun. It's about a hitman (laughs) who starts to do acting classes and... So if you want something uh, very well made so and fun and related to the acting world, particularly uh, American acting world, then yeah, take in Barry. They're only thirty minutes long, and it's it's a it's a lot of fun. And Henry Winkler does such a great yeah. job portraying <laughs> the acting teacher. Yeah, the things that he says and recognizing those things in myself and how it sounds so. Oh, yeah, just, definitely. Uh, it's it's it's, oh, it's uh, too very close to the bone. Yeah, and and it's and it's a busman's holiday for us who are in the acting business, but it's a it's, exactly. it's, it's a lot of fun. So uh, yeah. that's I'll giving I'm giving you all a break from you know Ingmar Bergman and Ibsen and Stringberg and uh, <laughs> do a bit of Barry instead. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Brian, what about you? Have you seen anything wonderful? Well, I have seen a few things, but I I don't really need to plug it because my it's number one on Netflix. But um, one of my friends, or actually two of my friends, um, who I worked with on a film, are in The Princess Switch switched again on Netflix. And so <laughs> oh, yeah. talk about light entertainment, but it's fun and, and go see it because uh, my friends are in it. <laughs> and I took another look at Fleabag, which was so, people raved about it when it came out and I was, I was iffy about it. So I've taken another look at Fleabag and have maybe a renewed appreciation for some of the things that are happening there. So if you haven't seen Fleabag, check that out. Fun, uh, inventive series, crossing some traditional boundaries a little bit. So you know how to get in touch with Vagabond Actors, but you want might want to get in touch with us individually. I just posted some Thanksgiving photos to my Instagram and <laughs> I posted some very interesting thoughts 
that I was having while I was on set um, on Twitter. Mm. No, it's good. It's all good. Everything good. It's just interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So, wait, what what did you think I said? I I don't actually think it's bad at all. I'm just like, you know, uh oh, it's like, what kind of thoughts are they? Are they? That's all. I don't like where this is going. Well, listen, all of you out there, if you say that Brian's thoughts often very left field and seem to be plucked out of the ether. And my tweets are so good. I know good. I like them. I don't know what's going on here. That's but I want I want the vagabond, I want hashtag team Brian, the vagabond actors. Team Brian to get out there and and go and follow me on Twitter. It's at Brian Casp, and then let Gary know. And it's um, at Gary Condes. Is that right on Twitter? It is. Yes. Yeah. So then let Gary know how wrong he is about going. Uh oh. When I say I'm posting interesting things on Twitter, that's what I want. That's that's all I have to say. Andrea, where can people follow you? I'm sorry, you're killing me, here, Brian. Talk about having an opinion. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you got me. Andrea, is it Andrea Helene 3 or something like yeah. that? Andrea, under, put an underscore in if you can't find it. Underscore. Just, just, okay. I, the Twitter I, has an underscore. The Instagram is at Andrea Helene 3. And I'm, I have not talked about – I'm just going to say, I'm just gonna say <laughs> I've not posted about socks. But maybe Brian has, and you should check out his Twitter at Brian Casp. I'm, I'm telling you, it's brilliant. <laughs> and you guys are happy to have me lighten your day. I don't post Always. that much about politics. Always. You know, it's, oh, my God. And, and you can find me at uh-oh.com. Sometimes, like text, you know, like text, you know, like text talk, you can often miss the nuance. Yes. <laughs> but you're talking. You're not writing. You're talking. I know, but I'm saying it's like it. It's like, like, like it. <laughs> right. Uh-oh was not a negative uh-oh. It was a, uh-oh, what have we got? What? What? <laughs> This was recorded. Recorded. We're going to go listen back to it. Also, sometimes you hear what you want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and you can get me at uh, garycondas.com. Just drop me a line on my contact page of my website. All right, you guys. Stay (laughs) safe. Have a great... I hope everyone out there had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. I think I'm having a turkey high right now. Oh, wow. Oh, it's really, it's good. I love Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Mm. Guys, stay safe. We'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.